Good afternoon and welcome to Blueprint for Efficiency, a webinar speaker series hosted by the Yale Center for Business and the Environment. My name is Robert Youngs and I will be your host for this afternoon's presentation titled Getting to 21st Century Energy Efficiency. The Yale Center for Business and the Environment is pleased to launch our sixth annual installment of Blueprint for Efficiency. This series of public webinars emphasizes the latest opportunities for energy efficiency. Each presentation is recorded and available on the Blueprint for Efficiency website. Be sure to check out our next webinar on Energy Efficiency Finance 301 in collaboration with C-Action and Lawrence Berkeley National Labs. In today's webinar, we will explore energy efficiency in the 21st century with our guest, Leo Sklovsky, co-founder and chief technology officer of Energy Savvy. Energy Savvy. Leo focuses on technology and user experience strategy and process for Energy Savvy. Previously, he worked as a developer focused on web applications and data visualization at Amazon, Redfin, and D.E. Shaw. Finally, we would like to remind our listeners that we welcome any questions you might have, and we will direct them to our speakers at the, end, at the conclusion of the talk. You can type those questions directly into the GoToMeeting chat window, and we will answer them at the end of the presentation. And with that, we welcome Leo to Blueprint for Efficiency. Thank you, Robert. Uh, it's really great to be here. Um, I'm actually also a Yale undergrad of Davenport 03, and so it's great to be back in the community and sharing some of the stuff we've done and some of the stuff we've explored. So uh, the thing I'd like to talk about today is getting to a 21st century model for energy efficiency. Um, energy efficiency is big. Uh, that's sort of a point place where we can start off with. In 2012, the savings from energy efficiency was enough to power 12.2 million homes and prevent 89 million metric tons of CO2 from being generated. And as you can see, significant growth has happened in energy efficiency over the past few years. From 2007 to 2012, the amount of savings has roughly doubled. So energy efficiency is going through a lot of growth, and there's a lot of challenges involved with that growth. And so here's an agenda of what we're going to cover today. The first part is we're going to explore what the growth has actually happened, what kind of growth is actually happening, and the challenges involved. We're going to discuss what a scalable path forward looks like in order to manage these challenges and to keep the growth going. We're going to discuss what role software has to play in the scalable path forward, and what the result is, how energy efficiency can look like, and what the impact of it can be in turning it into a true 21st century resource. So I'd like to start off discussing energy efficiency growth and challenges. And in order to frame this discussion, it's important to understand that energy efficiency is a critical contribution to how we think about energy and how energy is, uh, is developed. If we look at predictions for world energy demand, they're only going up. And the projected ways to meet these demands involve using coal, involve using natural gas, involve using nuclear. And energy efficiency, if it can be grown effectively and scaled, can match some of this need, both in the United States and internationally. Fortunately, energy efficiency starts off with a really great advantage. Energy efficiency is relatively cheap. Compared to a cost per kilowatt hour basis with some of the other fuels that are out there, energy efficiency costs from two to five cents, whereas other fuels have significantly higher generating costs. We're not the only ones to recognize this, and energy efficiency spending has been growing across the country, as well as across the world. And there have been a couple of major change drivers that have been pushing it forward. So the first of these is regulatory and rate pressure. 
a lot of the energy efficiency low-hanging fruit, such as subsidizing compact fluorescent light bulbs and other very simple and straightforward straight, simple and straightforward measures, have already been played out, pushing pushing utilities to do more complex and more difficult energy efficiency programs. Along with that, the costs and risks of building new power plants to meet existing demand have gone up as well. Many folks don't want a nuclear plant in their backyard and aren't happy of having a coal or natural gas power plant there either. The third factor that's been influencing the growth of energy efficiency is a shift in consumer perception, which has really been dramatic over the last decade, as consumers have embraced Priuses, uh, efficiency in their homes, efficiency in their lifestyles. And as a result, energy efficiency spending has grown dramatically. There's been a variety of companies that have helped aid this growth and a variety of uh, impacts that have made this growth happen and have used this growth to drive energy efficiency. So, for example, Enernoc was critical with some of their dispatchable demand-side management tools, where they're able to manage the demand on larger facilities and larger users of energy in order to help uh, reduce peak demand. The stimulus threw a lot of money into this area to try out new approaches, to try out new ways to spend this money and to do energy efficiency differently. Smart grid deployments are happening all over the country, creating tons of data about how energy is used, at what times it's used, and what is being done. And OPower, as a great example, has changed the conversation with regulators uh, over how customer satisfaction can happen and how data that arises from all this process can be used. Now, one of the interesting things to look at here is if we look at how energy efficiency spending has grown over the past, over the past seven years, it's actually gone from $2 billion to about 10 in 2015. This is a five times increase. But as we saw before, the actual effect of this increase has only been a two times increase in the amount of energy saved through energy efficiency measures. So we're spending five times as much, but only getting twice as much benefit. And that seems like a problem. And the reality is that this process is not working and has not adjusted to the increased demands of the growing amounts of money that are being spent on it. These market drivers that we've talked about, the regulatory, the cost, and the customer satisfaction driver, are pushing $10 billion through this pipeline. And a lot of the current approaches that utilities are using to run energy efficiency are simply not effective at the scale. Current approaches include things like tracking complex programs with spreadsheets, manual processes around managing data and accepting information, slow feedback cycles, and being mostly outsourced with, what, with how they're running these energy efficiency programs. These are choices that made sense when the programs were small and not a ton of money was flowing through this because it required, they require investment. But unfortunately, as more and more money is flowing through the energy efficiency programs of utilities nationwide, there's a very high cost of failure. There are regulatory penalties, there are issues with rate cases, and the fact that energy efficiency programs often don't meet their promised uh, goals makes them a hazard for when utilities are doing resource planning. So there's a lot of issues with this growth. Um, I wanna throw out a couple of examples of what this looks like in the real world. Uh, one utility launched an air sealing program using deemed savings, where they estimate the savings of what you'll get from doing a certain amount of air sealing. During evaluation, those savings were found to be 90% too high, but the utility was continuing to use that original savings estimate for two to three years after even that evaluation, which meant that the total write-down at the end of the program was quite material. In another situation, a utility took a 37% cut 
on how much they were going to save because of inaccurate energy modeling. Although the models were suspect, the analytical tools to observe actual savings weren't in place. And so when the final measurement and verification cycle came along, they took a 37% reduction, shareholders received lower bonus payments, customers were unhappy because they had invested in projects of unrealistic energy savings and felt like they were duped by their utilities, and the regulators were incredibly frustrated that the utility had failed to meet its goals in such a dramatic way. Now, looking at all of this, it can seem sort of strange. Utilities regularly deal with very complex situations. Uh, they deal with power plants, they deal with power grids, they're able to manage those very successfully. Um, and in order to understand why this is not working for energy efficiency, it's important to understand some of the scaling challenges that are involved in growing energy efficiency from a smaller industry and operating it at a larger scale. To do this, it's important to understand that there's a complex network of actors that are involved in any energy efficiency program. There's the utility that's driving it, there's the grid that it needs to deal with, there are the regulators that are supporting it, there's measurement and verification folks, there are the trade allies that are actually going out and doing the work, there are the customers who are, who are the end benefiters of this work, and then there are third-party implementers that help manage the entire process. And so, as you can see, this grid of communication rapidly grows, and the overhead from managing this process becomes extraordinarily complex. It becomes out of the scope of any one of this, these parties to keep track of the entire thing. The second issue that comes up is utilities operate as, nation, as regulated monopolies in their region. And so utilities will have minor variations in how they operate the programs that are specific locally. At a, at a national level, people in Washington are the same as people in Minnesota, are the same as people in New York, are the same as people in Florida, Texas, or California. The housing stock is roughly the same. There are, whole, there are variations in how and what the weights are that apply to energy efficiency programs, but the mechanics that work in one state and one market are probably mechanics that work in other states and other markets. And being able to look at it at a national scale and say, this is a pattern that's reproducible across the country is something tremendously powerful. To give you guys a bit more of a sense of what this complexity looks like, uh, we, took, we took one utility and sort of broke down what are the, pro what are the programs it runs. And so the numbers have been changed to protect the innocent, um, but they're re representative of what this, what this type of complexity can be. So this is one holding company that involves five operating companies across nine states, running 112 different programs, residential, commercial, industrial, rebates, retrofits, all sorts of different things. Of these, 24 are implemented by internal staff at these operating companies. 88 are implemented by third parties. And there are 25 different third parties running those 88 external programs. Put yourself in the seat of an executive at either one of the operating companies or at the holding company itself, and put yourself in the seat of an executive who's tasked with answering the question of, is our energy efficiency program working? You have to dig through this vast set of complexity to come up with that answer. But again, utilities do understand complexity, and utilities really understand it in the form of fuels. Uh, for many decades, utilities have been running power plants on, on a sort of a focused process, in some cases even for over a century here in the U.S. Um, utilities very easily understand and are built to figure out something that has a predictable input, which is a fuel, has a manageable process, which is generation, and has an output, which is predictable. If you build a 750 megawatt hour power plant, you know that it's going to produce that if it's running at a certain efficiency level. 
Unfortunately, energy efficiency as it's running today simply doesn't compute into this framework. This is because energy efficiency is hard to acquire, hard to manage, and hard to predict the outcomes of. So now that I've laid out this problem, uh, I'd love to go back a little bit and tell you about Energy Savvy, what we're up to, and who we are. Um, Energy Savvy is a five-year-old company. We're located in Seattle, Washington. Um, we're focused on making energy efficiency easy through software. Uh, our software focuses on giving folks access to their data and control their systems. We work nationwide, and we're honored to work with uh, all sorts of utilities, ranging from small municipal utilities to IOUs to statewide energy efficiency programs that run energy efficiency uh, across for entire states. The product that we have is, the primary product that we have is the Optics Demand Side Management System. And this is cloud-based software to help utilities manage their entire demand side management portfolio. Uh, energy efficiency is a critical part of these portfolios, but this platform is capable of managing more than energy efficiency. Uh, I want to briefly go through the pieces and, and then we'll go come back to our energy efficiency problem. So the first product we have is Optics Engage, which is an online audit that is designed to get folks in the door, to get them excited about energy efficiency, get them into the program. Our next products are Manage and Partner. These allow you to keep track of what happens once somebody enters the program. What is, where is their home? What is their address? What retrofits have been done before? Which contractors need to be going to this home? What do they need to be doing? The next product is Portfolio, which allows you to roll up data across multiple programs and to be able to see it all in an aggregated dashboard to be able to compare energy savings coming from various parts of a portfolio from either a commercial program, an industrial program, a residential program, or any other type. And finally, the evaluate component allows us to do real-time evaluation and allows us to look at the data that's flowing through the system and make predictions through it. Uh, and all of this is set up on standard enterprise uh, expectations with APIs, enterprise quality hosting, security, disaster recovery, and standard support. And this framework can connect all of the parties that were involved in the tangled web of communication with a system that will let them communicate in an effective way. So I want to come back to the energy efficiency problem and the problem of growth and challenges uh, and the challenges energy efficiency faces and discuss what a scalable path forward looks like for energy efficiency. Now, this is a complex question because energy efficiency has a lot of unique features. It's, uh, it's incredibly hard to talk about something that doesn't actually exist. Energy efficiency is energy that is not used. But fortunately, a lot of other industries have also faced similar challenges and have figured out how to scalably grow and transform their processes to be able to deal with much larger throughput. The fundamentals of this are start out with a very simple and almost pithy quote, which is, what gets measured gets improved. If you can measure a metric, then you can identify bottlenecks in your process. You can identify where you can invest resources to make the entire process flow better. So really, you want to be able to improve business processes using data. But in order to do that, you need to have good and timely data. And having accurate, good, and timely data is actually incredibly hard because of all the players involved in this type of system. In order to help the players provide you with accurate and timely data, usability is the foundation of something like this. It's critical to provide systems that make it incredibly easy for everybody involved in the system to provide data into it and to be able to view it. 
And uh, I'd love to do kind of a small demonstration of, of the role of usability and energy efficiency with you guys. Um, most of you probably live in an apartment or a condo or a home or a townhome that has windows. Uh, for those of you that don't, you're, you're probably either incredibly productive or not home ever. Um, so I'd love you to think about the windows that are in the place where you live, and I'd like you to answer this question and see if you can answer this question about the windows. What is the R value of your windows? What is the solar gain heating coefficient? And these are typical questions that will be asked right now when, when you're applying for an energy efficiency program that has to do with windows. And these questions are incredibly hard to answer. And so your reaction to these may be, well, I guess I could go look them up, or maybe I can go find a manual that came with my windows. Um, compare and contrast this to being able to answer this question about your windows. I'm guessing that most of you within a few seconds can say, oh, my windows look like this. And knowing that you are located in a certain part of the country and you have this type of windows, we're able to actually make a very good guess as to what the coefficients, what the relevant coefficients are for your windows. And this was really, really critical because most consumers will run into this stuff either on the internet or in a paper form. And if they're running into it on the internet, then they're competing, this energy efficiency application is competing for attention with everything else that's out there. And the usual response to being confronted with a question like this is to stare at it for about five seconds and then switch to this. Because there's a lot of cute kittens out on the internet and that's a lot more fun to deal with, with R value than R values of Windows. So this is a challenge for energy efficiency, but fortunately we have guidelines from other industries. They've dealt with this as well. For example, small business accounting seems like an incredibly complex process, dealing with lots of details, concepts that don't make intuitive sense. But QuickBooks has taken that process, standardized it, and put a fantastic experience around it that allows you to manage all the details of a small business's accounting. Sales processes have run into a similar situation. Uh, there's a lot of intangibles and concepts around sales that seem like they're hard to nail down. But Salesforce has done a fantastic job of making a sales process structured uh, and putting in an organized system and being able to put software around it. Obviously, again, energy efficiency is different. And so the next thing I'd love to do is to understand how using software can drive energy efficiency. In order to do this, I want to take one small example. Um, the energy efficiency spectrum is very broad. It encompasses programs ranging from replacing all the light bulbs at a stadium to offering somebody a rebate for the refrigerator to doing multiple retrofits or air sealing processes to even handing out compact light bulbs at a local fair. Um, so what I'd love to do is to drill in on one example of that and explore the day in the life of a home retrofit program. And a home retrofit is actually a great example for this because it covers four critical steps that are going to be part of almost any energy efficiency program. And those are marketing engagement, getting folks interested in energy efficiency, getting them to think about actually doing something, dealing with the application load and getting folks into the program, making sure the right people are applying to the program, um, actually doing the work, having either the audits or the contractors or sending the rebates. There's the actual process of doing whatever the program that needs, needs to do. Uh, and then there's the QA and evaluation step to understand whether or not the things you've done are effective and whether or not they make sense. So 
these four steps are going to exist in any type of program, although the significance and the weights of them may change for certain programs. This serves as a good example of the kinds of stuff software can do. The start of any energy efficiency program is the marketing and engagement piece. And this is where folks or customers are convinced that they need to go do something and that something will benefit them, whether it's because they get a rebate, a more comfortable home, or something along those lines. And there's a fantastic example that I can use. Um, there's, a blog, there's a blog that's fairly known in the technical community by a guy named Jeff Atwood. Um, he writes this blog called Coding Horror, where he talks about technology and human factors and all sorts of crazy things that connect to that. One of his blog posts about a year and a half ago was about how he was notified by his utility that he was using more energy than his peers. As, as a righteous nerd, he was frustrated by this fact and decided to go fix that. He, he doesn't want to be less than his peers. He wants to be better than them. Um, and so he did all of the things that you would expect a nerdy energy efficiency person to do. He got a Nest thermostat. He replaced all the light bulbs with LEDs. He got a high-efficiency tankless water heater. He spent a ton of effort on this, only to discover that it really had almost no impact on the energy use in his home. And in his blog post, he, he is really frustrated. Uh, you know, the next report showed up and said he's using basically the same amount of energy and he's still worse than his neighbors, even after having done all this. And so at the end of the blog post, he basically says, you know, I don't think this energy efficiency stuff works. I did it all and nothing really happened. And then a year and a half later, he tweeted this. It turns out that his 1954 home had no insulation anywhere at all. And insulation is an absolutely critical thing when dealing with the energy use of a home in any sort of climate situation. So he went out, got insulation put into his walls, and the energy efficiency, the energy performance of his home changed dramatically, right? But he only on accident discovered later that his home had no insulation, and his attitude after taking the wrong steps was that energy efficiency doesn't make sense at all. And so it's really important to understand how to use software to acquire, uh, to acquire customers, to get them in the door, and to get them excited about energy efficiency. In order to do that, it's critical to create a modern customer experience because homeowners and customers are constantly bombarded by the consumer internet. If you think of the tools that you use on a daily basis, you use an iPhone or an Android phone or Gmail or other websites, those of you using Mac or even some of the new Windows stuff, it's very much focused on usability and focused on an experience that helps you drive and achieve your goals. So we have a couple of examples from client utilities that we've worked with. Um, one started off with a very much underperforming online audit that had very low completion rates. They were spending a bunch of money trying to get folks to the website, trying to get them through. They managed to get only about 1,600 unique visitors through 2013. And once they replaced it with a more modern experience, with one that focused on usability, asked questions that people could answer, and guided them through the process, they were able to, in the first four months, get 5,500 visitors, 3,000 online audits completed, which in turn converted to over 90, to about 1,900 direct program enrollments. This represents an order of magnitude improvement on their program, and this is just within the first four months. The other value that software has is being able to replace manual and antiquated process. Uh, another client that we've seen has uh, had a paper-based application manual rebate processing. 
This is obviously a very manual process of opening envelopes, dealing with them, and coming up in the deadlines in their office, they would have literally cubicles filled with letters that needed to be processed, opened, uh, needed to be checked, people needed to be called because they had errors in their applications, and all sorts of other issues. Um, putting in a software-based rebate process, even on a very small program on which they tried it out at first, they were able to save up to 1,000 hours a year and process 4,000 applications much quicker than they were able to before. And even on the small program, the utility saw $100,000 in cheaper processing costs. So there are very clear advantages to using software that focuses on usability to acquire users for energy efficiency. But the other huge advantage of using software, which is much difficult to do with some of the processes that, use, that are driven, that are used by energy efficiency today, is you can run experiments. And you can discover interesting things about how to get people interested and how to get them into using energy efficiency. One example of this is having a lead form, the, the place where the customer says, I'm going to supply, here's my information, here's what I want to be doing. We did a couple of experiments, and a lot of utilities now do a, do a lead form where they list all of the contractors that are involved in the program and give customers a choice. Uh, there's a variety of tools you can use to distinguish the customers, the contractors that are there. There are star ratings, um, there are reviews, there's a whole bunch of stuff. But it turns out the paradox of choice is very much in effect here. If you have a page that lists all the contractors, even if there's factors to distinguish them, customers are not interested in moving forward. And the conversion rate of that page was 1%. When the choice was limited to just two or three contractors that randomly chosen from the full set of them, 26% of customers would go on and actually submit their information. And finally, when the choice was removed completely, when the contractor was selected for the customer in a round-robin fashion, the conversion rate jumped to 45%. These are dramatic changes, especially if you're spending marketing dollars to try to get folks to get to this lead form page and get them moving through. Now, Contractors are very critical to a story because when you're doing marketing, contractors can function as an amplification of your marketing spend and of your marketing efforts. If your incentives are aligned with the contractors, then they're only happy to get additional people, additional customers going through the program, doing the energy efficiency, and returning to do more energy efficiency later on. So another experiment that we performed is looking at conversion rates if homeowners come in with or without contractor referrals. And it turns out contractor referrals provide a dramatic bump in getting customers in the door and getting started on these programs. But this only happens if the contractors are happy with the program. If the contractors are frustrated with the program and have issues and difficulties with it, they're not going to advertise it. They're not going to encourage people to go through with it. They don't wish to inflict any sort of pain on their customers. They want their customers who are paying them to have good and easy experience. And so it's really critical to be able to give contractors good experiences. One example of this is uh, Arizona Power Service, which launched Optics Engage, Manage, and Partner in 2013 and dramatically improved their contractor satisfaction ratings with the program in just the four months, in just the first four months, which is critical because the first four months, you know, no matter how good software is, there's going to be a learning gap there's going to be adjustment to the way it operates, there's going to be a lot of changes, but even within that, there was a dramatic boost in how satisfied the contractors were with the software, and they saw their own administrative time per job go down by 30%. And this is a huge deal for contractors, 
because they don't want to pay the overhead of dealing with a program. Okay. Ultimately, their goal is to do more work, and if you can reduce the overhead of providing the data that a program needs to collect, then they're going to be happier, they're going to get more customers going through, and the process flows much better. So what we've allowed off, what we've allowed utilities to do is to give them a much better way to manage the process, to understand what's going on with it, and to have all of the actors participate and put in better data. And this is critical. Again, if you're a contractor looking at 100 jobs a year and you want to be able to scale to 1,000 jobs a year, any reduction you can get in the cost of any individual job pays forward tremendously. So we've seen how software can complement real-world processes and enhance them and make them better. But it turns out, under certain conditions, software can actually replace real-world processes if you're open to accepting certain trade-offs. One example of this is a study we did with CPS Energy in San Antonio, um, who took their customers and either sent them to the online audit or started them off with an in-home audit, where somebody would go to their home and actually perform an audit of the home. Obviously, the in-home audit is going to be able to take much more into account and provide a much more accurate uh, measure of the home's energy use. The online audit doesn't ask about things like pools or water beds that could influence the, uh, the final rating, but it turns out it's good enough to drive people through a program. And what CPS Energy discovered is by sending folks through an online audit, they were able to dramatically lower their retrofit acquisition costs. Um, one-sixth of the cost per retrofit uh, as throughout the whole program. And this is another really powerful aspect. If we go back and think about revising business processes and improving them by using data, being able to track a customer from how they've been engaged, how they go through the entire process of energy efficiency, and then the results they generate, and even follow-up data of from there on they continue and do other energy efficiency measures is tremendously powerful. Being able to follow a customer through that flow means you can take any one of the points in that flow, look at it, analyze it, improve it as needed. So this brings us to the final piece of, uh, of our home retrofit, um, the evaluation piece. And in order to talk about this and understand what impact software can have here, it's important to understand how program evaluation works today. Uh, a normal project, as we've seen, takes, uh, goes through several processes. There's an intake step, there's a work step, there's a quality assurance. And a lot of these projects will happen over time, uh, over 12 to 24 months. And after a lot of these projects have happened, uh, evaluation team will be called in to analyze and evaluate the savings that actually happened out of all of these projects. Now, a lot of stuff can happen in those 12 to 24 months, right? In the example we talked about at the utility where their deemed savings were incorrect, or contractors may be using the wrong brand of insulation, um, all of this stuff only gets analyzed at the end of a program. And any data that's missing during that program, so for example, in one evaluation scenario, after running a program for two years, the evaluators came in, started looking at it, and discovered the program had not recorded the names or the phone numbers of any of the participants. And so they were forced to send postcards to everyone who participated in the program to try and connect with them and follow up with them to understand what's going on. The end result of this is somewhat not surprising. Um, savings don't meet expectations. There are missed opportunities. And the regulators who are looking at this process are not happy with the outcome. So the solution to this is to take a lot of the data that we've been talking about, project data, smart grid data, and weather data, 
and to be able to combine it, to be able to combine it into a process during, event, during the program's operation, to be able to quickly determine whether or not the program is on a path to success or whether there are outliers that may influence how much the program is going to save. One example of this is if you replace a heating system in the winter, you should be able to immediately tell the next day that the home's energy use looks different. Um, obviously, this approach doesn't work on all measures. If you replace your air conditioner during the winter, it's going to be a couple of months before looking at the smart grid and the weather data will tell you whether or not that air conditioner upgrade was effective, but that's still much quicker than the 12 to 24 months you would have had to wait until the end of the program. And so by doing this, the evaluation cycle gains the ability to predict, the evaluation cycle during the program's operation gains the ability to predict what's going to happen. If you're able to take each project, run it through intake, work quality assurance, and immediately be able to start tracking the savings and do this across multiple projects, you now have leading, indicator to, leading indicators of when things are going well, when things are going poorly. And you can make program adjustments and observe as you're going along and correct the program as you go. Being able to take this data and slice and dice it in various ways is also critical. You may discover that all of the underperforming homes seem to belong to one contractor or one part of town. And then you can focus your investigation resources on that. Maybe the contractor is, um, maybe the contractor is having difficulty with one of the forms and filling in data incorrectly, leading to poor results. Maybe that part of town has some variation in the housing stock, or there's drafts or other weather conditions that you haven't accounted for in your prediction. But the end result of being able to quickly iterate on this and correct the program as you go is also that the final evaluation is faster, easier, and with better results. Many evaluators talk about one of the difficulties of their job being gathering the data, correcting it, cleaning it up. And if the data and this partial evaluation happens as the program goes on, the final evaluation becomes much simpler and allows evaluators to focus on the algorithms and the processes they use rather than spending untold hours cleaning up data, sending postcards, and collecting information from the customers of the program. So we've talked a little bit, we've gone through a, a story of a home retrofit and talked about how software can influence that and how software can dramatically change things. Um, this combination of energy efficiency and software is tremendously powerful. We already know energy efficiency is cheap. And with the application of software and scaling, it becomes easier to acquire, easier to manage, and easier to predict. And so a magical thing can happen is once you have those three characteristics, then energy efficiency starts to fit into the core competency for utilities, which is managing power plants, managing fuel sources, and energy efficiency begins to look like just like another power source. The inputs are the consumers, the process are the retrofit rebates and other programs. And the measurement step is both aggregating results across programs and the real-time evaluation process. And at this point, energy efficiency becomes integrated into the core competency of a utility and what they understand and know how to do. And this is part of the major transition that's happening in energy efficiency as with the tools that are available and with the money that's flowing through these programs, more and more utilities are looking at this and, and revising their decision, which originally was the correct one, to run these programs through external implementers. They're looking to run this themselves and use the same processes and business understandings they have around running power plants into running energy efficiency programs. What this turns into is 
energy efficiency as a fuel. If energy efficiency is made effective, manageable, and predictable, then utilities will be able to run it in comparison with all of their other processes, and we'll be able to look to it as an effective substitute. They'll be able to use it as part of the planning process without worrying that two years later they'll discover that energy, their energy efficiency measures actually only generated 30% of the savings they thought we would, they thought they would. And a number of other think tanks and folks in the industry have also noticed this and are also pointing out that energy efficiency is one of the best ways for utilities to move forward and meet rising demand at a lower cost. So hopefully this has given you a view of energy efficiency as it is now and what energy efficiency will look like in the 21st century. Uh, I want to thank you very much for your time and say if you have any questions, you know, I know we're doing questions now. If you have questions outside the scope of this webinar, feel free to contact myself. Uh, check out our website. We have a variety of resources there. And there's a number of additional resources uh, and other sites that have content that's pertinent and supporting this kind of stuff. So thank you very much, and hand it back to you, Robert. Thank you so much, Leo. That was, uh, that was great. And we've got some good questions coming in here. So I'll, I'll dive right into them. Um, I've got a question from David here. It says, does your software take DIY, do-it-yourself work conducted by the homeowner into account? I think this is one issue where utility programs, uh, they typically require a contractor to do the work. Yeah, absolutely. So our software doesn't directly do that. Um, but software provides a mechanism for utility to capture this. The, the traditional ways that utilities have tried to capture the DIY work is by doing rebates. Um, and so if you're a homeowner, you did something, you have to fill out a rebate, you have to send it in with a UPC code or some other documentation that you've actually done the work, and the utility would do some sort of quality assurance step to verify what you've done. One of the really exciting possibilities of, of looking at this data and then combining it with the energy usage data is it gives the utility another way to validate that you're doing this work. If you do some work yourself and you claim you replaced your windows and replacing your windows should generate this type of savings, the utility can then look at your energy bills, compare that with the project data you're claiming, and be able to extract information from that. Uh, obviously, there are all sorts of factors that can affect that on an individual home basis, but at a systemic level, utilities now have another way by using a software to detect whether or not DIY is actually achieving the goals that it's achieving. Okay, great. You've got a question here from Steve. Are utilities hesitant to use a software platform that randomly selects a single contractor through a blind round-robin process? Uh, if the process results in higher conversion rates for customers, uh, it may not necessarily connect the customer with the, with the contractor best suited for a particular job. How should utilities balance customer choice and customer conversion rates? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a fantastic question. And so for the purpose of this presentation, I, I simplified um, what's actually happening under the hood to select the contractor. Um, but the reality of it is slightly more complex. Obviously, you don't want to pair, you know, one of, the, one of the simplest ways is to pair people within a certain distance. But if there's a river between you and where the contractor is, or the Long Island Sound, um, that's not an effective way to connect to a contractor. The, the important point of that is that for the most part, unless, consumer, unless customers come in saying, I want to work with contractor X, they're mostly ambivalent about what contractor they work with. And asking them to choose actually slows them down from going into the program. 
the choice that's made under the hood by the system can take into account a tremendous number of factors. It can take down the effect. It can take into account the effectiveness of the contractor, whether or not they do the types of things the person applying is doing, um, where the contractor is located, what their job availability is, uh, how many jobs they've been given from the program. Certain programs really focus on making sure that every contractor has the same number of jobs. But the important point of that is that the homeowner isn't faced with a choice that they don't necessarily know how to make. Um, and the utility and the processes involved there and the business choices there can affect that for them. Okay, great. Um, got a question here from Beth. You mentioned an example of a utility reducing their processing costs by $100,000 through the transition to software-based management of their efficiency program. While these are obviously tremendous cost savings, do some utilities perceive this change to the status quo as a threat? For example, in terms of employee job stability, employee hours worked, and overall organizational structure? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, so utilities look, at, utilities look at the types of the ways that they're investing in energy efficiency. Um, and they, in this specific instance, for example, um, the savings didn't go necessarily to people being fired or a staff being reduced. The savings went to the staff being able to do more effective and higher value actions, right? The, the stuff that people were doing in this case was opening up envelopes, dealing with a lot of manual processes, where there were very capable people that understood the program and could improve it in other ways. Um, there's a variety of questions around sort of how the spending is set up for utilities. And so far, we haven't really run into the concern where somebody says, oh, this is a more efficient way of doing stuff. Uh, I'm not going to do it because I really like to be inefficient. Okay, thanks. I've got a question here from John. Here in Nebraska, we only have publicly owned utilities. What is the breakdown between public and private utilities that Energy Savvy works with? I think off the top of my head, I'm not sure about the exact breakdown. Um, we do have public utility customers. We do have municipal utility customers. We do have IOU customers. Um, they have slightly different perspectives on how they treat energy efficiency because of their relationships with regulators, because of their relationship with shareholders when they have them, and their relationship with customers. Um, in the case of publicly owned utilities, they, they do focus a lot on achieving goodness for their public. That is who they serve. And so there, there are significant pressures to do energy efficiency and to do it well. So again, I'm not sure of the exact numbers. More than happy to answer it if you shoot me an email. Uh, but we do work with public utilities. And we work with, uh, in the state of Oregon and in the state of New York, with the public trusts that are responsible for energy efficiency. So Oregon has an organization called uh, the Energy Trust of Oregon and New York State has NYSERDA. And both of those are public organizations that are responsible for energy efficiency in the state. Okay, thanks. Got a question here from Gray. I agree that being able to reliably and accurately predict energy efficiency savings is valuable, but I don't see how this necessarily translates into utilities feeling that they can better trust the energy efficiency results when doing their, their supply demand forecasting folks demand, involved in these functions, the utilities are no, notoriously suspicious of energy efficiency numbers. H have you experienced an, an ability to influence these folks within the utility? 
Yeah, so you, you absolutely nail um, a critical part of this, right, is energy efficiency for so long has been regarded in the planning process as, as not a credible source of energy savings. Um, and we have, you know, tremendous amounts of folks we've talked to will hear stories like, oh, I went to my planner and I said, we're going to do this program. And the planner said, sorry, I can't use it. I can't tell what neighborhood it's going to impact. I can't tell what actual impact it's going to have. Um, the last program you told me had a discount rate of 40%. So the planners are rightfully um, suspicious of energy efficiency of all of these other sources. And so this is a process that's going to happen over time. As energy efficiency programs start to nail or exceed their goals, it behooves the planners to take, it, to take, take that and pay attention. Um, this is a process that's only starting. And so you know, while the scope of this is, is over many years, we're starting to see the very first impacts of this. Some of the very first programs that have had dedicated software gathering this level of information, starting to be able to predict this stuff. Um, we are starting to see some planners say, wait, this prediction was actually accurate. In the next cycle, we'll start thinking about it more seriously. But it is a process. It is the 21st century energy efficiency. Yeah, not by the end of the 21st century, probably sometime soon. All right, thanks. I've got another question here from Melissa. How is consumer pricing impacted by the software-based contractor selection? Does this allow for price competition? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question as well, right? If you're picking a contractor at random, um, maybe we're sending you the most expensive one. Um, so there's a variety of ways to deal with this, and uh, some of our customers set up a system where they actually assign three contractors and present bids to the customer. And then that customer is able to select from those bids for the work that needs to be done as determined by the auditor, which one they want to go with. And that gives the contractors the ability to actually compete, to differentiate themselves, to do this kind of stuff. But the important thing, and again, is pushing the choice farther down the process, right? In this case, the homeowner applies, they have an audit, the audit results are public for everyone to see, for the homeowner, for the utility, and for the contractors. And then the homeowner can look at that audit result and say, which contractor do I want to work on this? Uh, and so the choice is now actually happening at an informed point. If you know you need to replace your water heater and one of the contractors is charging a tremendous amount and has never actually done water heaters before, now you can make an informed decision. Whereas at the point of application, you, you don't really know and you don't really necessarily understand what is the work that needs to be done and how you can differentiate between the contractors. Okay, great. Got a question here from Rob. If homeowners using the software are initially self-reporting data on their windows, insulation, etc., is there a tendency to misreport or, or systematically underreport their home's efficiency in hopes of qualifying for utility subsidies? And does this uh, does this affect the, the data? Yeah, so that's a great question as well, right? Anytime you have self-reporting, folks will try to get whatever they need to get. Um, the, the answer so far is not that we've seen. Um, and one of, the, one of the big things with this is if, when you're asking these questions, you, you disconnect them from what the qualifying requirements are, it makes it significantly harder and gives significantly less motivation to game the system. So, for example, if you ask, if you ask an explicit question of, does your home, is your home on a historic register? Then 
somebody may be motivated to say, no, no, it's not, even though it is, in order to be able to get into a program, right? Asking a question of what age your home is doesn't seem like a potentially disqualifying question. It seems like a natural question that's required for this, but can then raise a yellow flag further down the process to the utility and say, hey, you said your home was 120 years old, so maybe we should check whether it's on a historic register or not. Um, so it's not something that we've seen uh, folks going through our system, but it's absolutely a motivation that system has to be designed to deal with. Okay. Uh, we've got a question here from Seth. Uh, in your experience, have you seen utilities considering structuring loading order contractor incentives that increase energy efficiency in solar installs? Uh, absolutely. So one of the you know one of the biggest things that you can do to make your solar install effective is to actually make your home energy efficient to begin with. Um, utilities will set up programs, and one of the things they can do is once they have some information on who the homeowner is, what their home looks like, they can direct them to their appropriate program. And so one of the patterns we've seen recur all over the country is utilities looking at the audit results saying if certain things, certain obvious energy efficiency things are broken, go fix those first. But if you go through the audit and you have fantastic scores, your home is already looks really efficient, then they'll go ahead and recommend solar and recommend that as the next step for you to improve your, uh, your home's energy use. Okay. I've got a question here from Susan. Do you have any customer data on satisfaction using an online audit versus an in-home audit done by an energy professional? Uh, absolutely. Um, again, I don't have it off the top of my head, um, but I would encourage you to email me. We do, have, we do have data on this. We do have data on the effectiveness of an online audit versus an in-home audit um, and the satisfaction. Okay. Got a question here from Seth. How have California's energy efficiency programs performed uh, in the context of, of what you've been talking about today? Uh, yeah, so that's a great question. California is, is one of the biggest spenders on energy efficiency, um, which, which may seem sort of counterintuitive for certain parts of California. Uh, if you're in, for example, uh, the San Francisco area, you know, you, you never actually need to run an air conditioner or run heating, um, or you're in the Silicon Valley area. Um, but other parts of California do face climate extremes, and the energy spend in California is huge as well. Um, so California has, has had a variety of structures. Like other states, California has experienced some of these same disappointments around uh, realization rates and not getting the savings they were hoping for. Um, and the California Public Utilities Commission is very active in trying to figure out how they can make this better, um, what can they improve, and what kind of steps they can take to make the process better. Fortunately, California also has a lot of forward-thinking utilities, um, SoCal Edison, SMUD, PG&E, just to name a few, that understand the necessity of energy efficiency and are happily trying out new experiments and trying out new ways to deal with it, um, including software-based approaches to help them scale. Okay. Well, I think that looks like all the questions uh, we've got here. So. Um, we will go ahead and, and end it there. That concludes our, our talk for today. And again, we'd really like to thank uh, Leo Skoglowski for joining us this afternoon from Energy Savvy. Uh, if any of the audience would like to view a recording of the webinar, please visit 
the Yale Center for Business and the Environment website. Uh, all of our Blueprint for Efficiency links are under the Outreach tab. And please tune in for our next webinar on Energy Efficiency Finance 301 in partnership with Lawrence Ber Berkeley National Laboratory. And with that, this is Robert Youngs from the Yale Center for Business and the Environment saying so long from New Haven, Connecticut. <laughs>